Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. It's Resurrection Sunday and Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Living Stone. Join us in Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. He's alive. I'm so glad that you're in church today. We're excited that you're here. This is the most important Sunday, too. It's because we celebrate the most important event in, um, that there is to celebrate. And so we are excited uh, that you're here today to experience this uh, today. And uh, um, I hope you go away different. I really do. You know, um, I want you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 4. And there's an event there, there's a scene there that changes everything for the church. I think it's a tipping point. There's a moment in time there that I want you to uh, hear this morning and, and, and experience and see. Awesome things. I think Resurrection Sunday reminds us of all kinds of things. But in particular, I think Resurrection Sunday reminds us that God plays by his own rules. I don't know if you've thought about that, that, but on this day, we realize that God doesn't always do what we expect him to do, right? Sometimes he does what we least expect him to do. And sometimes he acts in ways that defy the laws of nature. <laughs> Raising the dead definitely falls into that category. So I want you to just see this scene in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is like the companion book to the gospel of Luke. Luke writes his gospel, Dr. Luke, and then he follows it up with the Acts of the Apostles. And so this is after the resurrection, and some people are preaching the gospel. So let's just look at chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under that black chair in front of you. Or you can log on to uh, Bible.org and, uh, with your iPad or your phone or your device or something. Here we go. Starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. And they came up to them angry because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. How convenient, right? But many of those who had listened to the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. So there's a lot more people there than just men. That's a big crowd, right? Uh, verse 5, on the next day, their rulers, elders, and experts in the law came together in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, these are familiar names, by the way, John, Alexander, and others who were members of the high priest's family. After making Peter and John stand there in their midst, they began to inquire, by what power or by what name did you do this? As if they didn't know, by the way. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he replied, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we're being examined today for a good deed done to a sick man, by what means this man was healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. Now, this is a scene. Now, it's obvious when you read this that there's something that happened before this, right? And we'll get to that. But look at that verse. I mean, is that a Bible verse? Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. I mean, if this isn't true, if all of this is just a farce and Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no reason to be here, by the way. You guys should just go to brunch and we should just dismiss early. And there's nothing that I got to say that's worth listening to. But something else is going on here, right? The disciples, when you think back just a little bit, the disciples, Jesus' guys, right? The guys that he spent all this time with and he sort of plowed his life into training and teaching and allowing his life to rub off on them. um, uh, The disciples, early on Sunday morning, when they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, I'm sure that they felt spooked. I'm I'm sure that they were pretty confused. I'm confident, no doubt, that they were not thinking that he's risen from the dead. This scene that we're looking at is, is after all of that's taken place, right? I think that they thought the opposite, that someone entered the tomb during the night and stole his body. That's what they were all thinking. In fact, you remember Mary, when uh, she saw the empty tomb, she wept, she cried, and she told the angels in John chapter 20... In verse 13, she said, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary replies, they've, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. So the resurrection was the last thing on her mind that morning as well. Now, a few weeks after the, the resurrection, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, all right, when they meet a guy who's crippled. I mean, he's in a bad way. And he's asking them for money. He's begging for money. So Peter replies with these famous words in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. This is before what we just read. He says, I have no silver, gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. (laughs) Now this is what makes these guys mad. Here's a healthy guy, and they are furious, right? The man stands up, completely healed. He starts walking. He starts leaping. He starts praising. He cannot shut up. Nobody can shut him up. And so when a crowd gathered, what happens? Peter preaches the gospel to them. Remember? The guys that thought that Jesus' body was had been stolen, who are all confused. Remember the guy that, like, denies um, Christ three times, you know, before he's crucified. All these guys run, fearing for their lives. Remember those guys? Timid, kind of weak, 
you know, running for their lives, hiding, cowering, this whole thing. This guy stands up now in the middle of all of this and is preaching Jesus. He's preaching Christ crucified and raised from the dead. So he's got a crowd and he's challenging these people to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. So when the rulers of the Jews, they heard all this, you know, that Peter and John um, were preaching, they, they arrest him. They arrest him. And he's held overnight. They're doing that on purpose. I'm going to let you sit on this a little bit and think about what you're doing, right? Acts chapter 4, verse 2 tells us that they're angry because the apostles were teaching people and announcing things. They're teaching and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So this also refers in part to the fact that some of these Jewish rulers, they're called Sadducees, all right? And the Sadducees, they don't believe in the afterlife, and they don't believe in the resurrection of anything from the dead, right? But they're also really furious with the claim that Jesus himself has uh, risen from the dead. That's what's really making them mad, right? So this kind of teaching, it cannot be ignored. They were arrested on suspicion of teaching dangerous ideas. We can't let you think like this. We can't have you saying things like this. We're going to censor you, right? (laughs) Yeah. The entire atmosphere was intended to make these people afraid, to intimidate. That's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to intimidate them. Oh, I love this. Because you start figuring out now why Jesus chose Peter. You remember Peter in the garden when he cuts off that guy's ear and Jesus is like, oh my gosh, hold on, dude. And then he glues his ear back on or whatever. You know, I don't know how he puts that back on, right? It's like, put the sword away. You know, the guy that like speaks before he thinks. The guy, he's like, well, I'll die with you. And then he denies Jesus. You know, like, you know, like Jesus makes him breakfast on the beach. And he's like, do you love me? And Peter finally gets all frustrated. Of course I do. You know, that guy, you start realizing, wow, he's got all this potential. And, and Jesus can see that and knows that. I think it's all saved up for right here, right here, because there's serious hate for the resurrection right now. In these moments, Peter's coming alive right here. I love, I love this scene. And John, you know, John's right in there, right? Some people have always hated the resurrection mes- message because it threatens their belief system. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you're one of these people. The idea that someone could come back from the dead, it flies in the face, face of self-professed knowledge of the universe. This is craziness. So the next day, Peter and John, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. This group of 70 men under Rome's authority, they had the power to enforce Jewish law to try cases and to settle disputes. They've got all the power right now, right? This is a scene of power and intimidation, most definitely. The same group of leaders had recently condemned Jesus to death. They're familiar people. And they wanted these guys to know that they had the power to do the same thing. 
That's why they got him in jail. That's why they got him standing there in front of everybody. 70 people. How intimidating is this, right? Acts chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that the Sanhedrin asked these two guys, these two apostles, a really leading question. They know the answer. They want to trap them. They want them to say it out loud. By what power or what name did you do this? They know. 5,000 guys standing there while they're preaching. You think they, they haven't heard? It's not making a stir. That just just 5,000 men. I mean, how many women and children and everybody else is around? Come on. What a question. And what a moment for the movement of followers of Jesus. For a movement called the way. Oh, this is huge. Think about this. This is the first recorded persecution of Christ followers. Since then, millions of Christ followers have suffered and died for their faith. And we know that on this very day in the world that we live in, 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 in Muslim and Hindu countries, many followers of Jesus can't worship freely or openly. We also know that Christ followers are being put to death in the Sudan and in other countries where radical Muslim, uh, militant Muslims have authority. So this, is, this has been going on. This is just the beginning right here, right? It is in, in interesting, uh, by the way, to note, I think, that the Jewish leaders, it's, it's interesting to note what they did not do. I don't know if you think like, like that, but sometimes I do. Here's what they did not do. They did not make any attempt to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Nowhere in this scene are they trying to disprove it. Isn't that amazing, right? If it were possible to do, this was the time to do it. But they don't do anything like that. They can't. They couldn't do that. They had nothing. Had it seemed possible to refute them on this point, how readily would the Sanhedrin have seized the opportunity? And had they succeeded, how quickly and completely the new movement would have collapsed. They can't do it. That's why they got to intimidate. That's why they got to censor. That's why they got to stop it like this and make you feel like you're going to threaten, right? Oh, man, it would have all collapsed right there, this new movement called the way. So what does Peter do? He's got some options. Now, if you know anything about Peter, I, I, I like to point him out, right? Number one, he can apologize for making trouble. Imagine that. <laughs> no way. No way he's going to apologize for doing that. Number two, he can keep quiet and hope for the best. <laughs> it's totally laughable. Jesus didn't choose this guy because he kept quiet. No, he's never kept quiet in his whole life, right? Number three, he can capture the stage and preach the gospel, which is exactly what he does. You know, I like this because how many opportunities do you have that are just like this? Where it's pretty difficult to stand up and tell people exactly the truth, right? I mean, this is, this is a difficult thing to do. What a model for us right here. And imagine if he hadn't done this, right? Look back at the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 10 in verse 18 and 19. I love this because remember, Jesus does what he says he's going to do. And every time he predicts or he says something's going to happen, 
it totally happens. Look what he says in Matthew 10. And imagine, Peter knows this. He's reminded of this, right? It says in verse 18, and you will be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over for trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say, for what you should say will be given to you at that time. Man, that'll make you a believer, won't it? You don't have anything to fear. You don't have to have all the right words. The, Lord's, uh, the Lord gets this. And so Peter, he is not going to back down, right? He's got the entire leadership of Israel right in front of him. This is a key audience. These people are the people you need to talk to. It doesn't get any bigger than this. These guys think he's a dangerous troublemaker. That's what they think. So Peter stands up and he preaches Jesus. He preaches Christ crucified and raised from the dead. No compromise, no hesitation, no apologies of any kind. What he says, by the way, it doesn't last very long. Only five verses in Acts chapter 4. Five verses. But these five verses contain all the truth. And in this paragraph, I think we learn exactly who Jesus is. First thing, the first thing that we learn is that he is the rejected stone. Now, he, he chose this language carefully. I mean, it just came to him. God is brilliant. The rejected stone. Yeah, what is that? He answers the basic question in verse 10. Who did this? You know, the crippled guy that's healed, like running around yelling and, and praising God at everybody and dancing and leaping and you can't shut this guy up? Who did this? <laughs> this is what he says in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. Who did this? <laughs> Jesus Christ crucified. You know, you were there, right? He could have stopped there, but he doesn't. He continues to answer in verse 11, knowing that he might never have a chance like this again. And by the way, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that's, that has become the cornerstone. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. In these, in these two verses, Peter says some things to these Jewish leaders that they cannot get past. Talk about poke the bear. You crucified Jesus. Literally true. They were there. They know it. Absolutely. They own it. He points that out. God raised him from the dead. Also true, whether you believe it or not. Number three, his power healed this lame guy, the crippled guy. Also true. And number four, you rejected God's stone of salvation. Also true. So verse 11 is actually a quotation, by the way, this is brilliant. This is God. This is magnificent. It's a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 22. It speaks of a rejected stone becoming the cornerstone. So Jesus himself uses this exact scripture in these words when he gave the parable of the landowner just a few days before his crucifixion. Psalm 118, verse 22. I mean, this was written before Jesus even born. The stone which the builders discarded, you could say, or rejected has become the cornerstone. So it speaks of a, of a rejected stone becoming the cornerstone. 
So Jesus himself uses the same scripture before his crucifixion. The image comes from the ancient quarries where highly trained stonemasons carefully chose the stones used in construction. Now, if you've been to um, Israel, if you've been to Jerusalem, if you've been to the old city, I mean, everything's made out of stone. And if you're going to build something completely out of stones, the one you start with better be square, it better be right, all the angles better be good, it better be sharp and clean because everything's built starting with that. I mean, it's a basic principle of any construction, and any builder knows everything's got to be square at the very beginning, or you can forget anything else being square and being right and being built right. So no stone was more important than the cornerstone because the integrity of the whole structure depends on the cornerstone containing exactly the right lines. It's got to be exactly right. The entire building is going to be out of line without it. That's why builders inspected a lot of stones, rejecting and discarding each one until they found just the one that was right and good. Rejected and and discarded stones, you know, they might be used in other parts of the building, but they would never become the cornerstone. So Peter's saying that Jesus is the rejected stone that God made to be the cornerstone of salvation. Oh, this is confrontational, right? The Jewish leaders rejected him, but God not only accepted him, he put him in the position of highest honor in the most important place. Right, but here's the biggest shock. Right, it's all shocking and it's all confrontational in his preaching, and it's all true. But these guys, who should have they 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 should have known better, they didn't recognize him. That's the shock. Here's the guys that should have known all of this. Study the scriptures, understand all the things. Right, in charge of all the teaching. These guys make a cataclysmic mistake that becomes an eternal failure. To reject Jesus means that you've rejected God's cornerstone. And think of it. Since the cornerstone is the foundation, anything you build on from that point is foundationally wrong. Totally wrong. That is what's so shocking. It's got to be built on Jesus or forget it. Nothing else. That's why I said, welcome to the most important day for us to celebrate. Because if none of this is true, if Jesus isn't the cornerstone, (laughs) you could all just go to brunch and be fine. I mean, why are we here? There's no reason to be here. There's nothing purposeful about any of this. It's all a big farce, right? We're just following maybe a good teacher, right? Oh. So let me, be, let me be clear about this. It's not enough to say that Jesus is a good man, even a great teacher, or an excellent religious leader, but not the Son of God. <laughs> if he isn't who he said he was, then nothing he said can be trusted. So not only is Jesus the rejected stone, he is also, number two, the living stone. He's the living stone. Now, What? In verse 10, Peter plainly says, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Well, how could the name of Jesus heal a crippled guy? How does that happen? 
What are you talking about? It happened because Jesus rose from the dead. He's the living stone of eternal salvation. And I don't think Peter ever forgot the time when he stood in front of all these leaders of Israel. I mean, how could he forget this? Made an impression even on him. Because years later, when he writes the letter we call 1 Peter, he described Jesus like this, 1 Peter 2, 4. The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Right? 1 Peter 2, 4. So this is two images combined. Think of it like this. Jesus the stone and Jesus the source of life. When these two things come together, you get a living stone. Jesus the stone and Jesus the source of life. Wow. I love Billy Graham. He preaches some of the best messages about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, a dead Jesus can't save anyone, but a living Christ can change your life. It's got the power to change everything and anything. Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14 and 15, it tells us something interesting right here. The Hebrew author says, Therefore, since the children, this is the children of God, share in the flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity, so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. So the resurrection tells us how it's all going to end for the child of God. The resurrection teaches us that when the battle of all time finally comes to an end, the home team wins. The future may not be pleasant. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe gasoline will be $8 a gallon. I don't know. Maybe there's going to be other wars. Maybe China will invade Taiwan. Maybe, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe there'll be some other virus turned loose. I don't know. The future may not be pleasant. But here's what I do know. We'll overcome it if our allegiance is to the one who rose from the dead. That's what it means to call Jesus the living stone. It gives us courage to face our own death and anything else. Did these guys have courage and preach it? Yeah. The resurrection changed them from the inside out. And here they're standing in front of everybody. And they are not going to back down. I don't care what the intimidation is. Oh. And so Jesus, the rejected stone, became the living stone, who is now, by the way, number three, the cornerstone. Okay. God has made Jesus the cornerstone of salvation. Everything begins and ends with him. If you miss Jesus, you missed everything God has for you. You cannot miss Jesus. He's right here in front of us. So now we come to the end of Peter's brief message in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember these guys, right? Acts 4.12. This is a powerful verse, right? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So these words, 
in our culture, in our environment, right? These words sound strange. They even sound harsh, especially in a time of tolerance, diversity, political correctness, woke, whatever, right? You can't say that stuff out loud. Peter couldn't have really meant what he said, right? Could he? I mean, focus on the, the, these two phrases in verse 12. Look at verse 12. It means you can't call out to anyone else and have hope of being saved. No one but Jesus. It's Jesus alone and only Jesus. He is the only Savior God has given us. Only through faith in him can you escape hell. Let everybody here today who's listening hear these words. Think about these statements. You can't reject Christ and have any hope of heaven, number one. Number two, you can't look to any other religious leader for salvation. Nobody else will save you. You can't combine Christ with any, anyone or anything else, by the way. There's no combining him. It's Jesus plus nothing. You're not free to make up your own religion. People try awful hard. You cannot save yourself either. We must all come to God on his terms. Yep, not ours. These words are absolutely exclusive and mean exactly what they say. Now, hold tight. If you're here for the first time, I like to end things like this. I know we're coming to the end. But let, so let me ask it like this. What does this have to do with you and me? Because if, if it doesn't, this doesn't have to do anything with you and I, then why are we here again? Number one, the resurrection demands a choice. I mean, it just does. You can't escape it. As long as Jesus is dead, then there's just another leader. He's just another leader who lived and died and admired by a bunch of people, even here today. But if he really rose from the dead, then he stands alone and no one can be compared to him. The resurrection message can be reduced to one phrase. He was rejected. He rose from the dead. God made him the cornerstone of salvation. He's the only way to be saved. So there's a choice. Number two, who is Jesus to you then? Who is he to you? Rejected stone or cornerstone? It's like asking, whose side are you on? <laughs> with, with those who crucified him or with those who follow him? God makes no deals when it comes to heaven. No deals. You either enter by way of the cross or you don't enter at all. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. But the road to heaven is paved with the blood of Christ. Which road are you traveling? Now, that's getting kind of in your face, isn't it? Yep, I learned it from Peter. <laughs> Number three, don't be like the builders who rejected God's stone of salvation. Don't reject Jesus Christ. Don't stumble. Don't trip over the rejected stone. The guys are coming up. The band's coming up. We're going to sing a song. We're going to conclude with more truth. My prayer is that you'll open up your eyes to see Jesus as he really is, the cornerstone of eternal salvation, the living stone. That's who we celebrate and worship today. This Sunday is set aside to be all about him and nobody else. 
Now, there's this other thing that goes on. I've been listening, Pastor Ben. You've been kind of getting under my skin a little bit. So maybe today you felt a tug in your heart, a tug for God to have a bigger place in your heart. I don't know, maybe somebody drug you to church and said, you know, we're going to go to brunch afterwards, Would you, you know, but you got to go to church with me, right? I'm, I'm so glad they did. But it, you know that tug in your heart? I, I, I'm here to say I want to assure you that it didn't happen just by chance. Instead, God gave it to you, and right now he's drawing you to himself. What do you do about that? Well, you can stiff arm him and say, yeah, I don't know, this is weird. Or you can say, you know what? <laughs> I think this is true. You can say, you know what? I'm sinful and I need a Savior, and this sounds like the way to me. I am ready. You know what? I'm tired of doing it by myself and like my, on my own because it isn't working out that great. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, you put up the white flag and you surrender allegiance to the king. He will change your life. That's what the crippled guy did. <laughs> Peter says, I got something in it in silver or gold. But in the name of Jesus, if you believe, he will change you. And he did, didn't he? And it'll make you bold just like Peter. The Lord's Supper and Resurrection Sunday, it seems like they don't fit right? I don't know if you've thought about it because these tables are all about death. You know that, right? It's a memorial, the Lord's Supper, the elements. And while we remember the fact that Messiah, Jesus, rescued us on Good Friday with his death and crucifixion, it's in his resurrection that we truly experience new life. It's in the eating of the Lord's Supper that we bring together the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So yeah, we're going to celebrate his death today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, there's a bold guy too. Listen to what he says. This is potent. He says, now if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead. How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, I got more. We're found to be false witnesses. You know, about God? Because we've testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead when in reality he didn't raise him from Raise them from anything if indeed the dead are not raised? For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is useless. This is all dumb, by the way. And you're still in your sin. You know that poison that you'll die from? Furthermore, I got one more. Those who have fallen asleep, you know, who've died in Christ believing... They've also perished, and they're just done and rotting in the grave. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anybody. Talk about politically incorrect. <laughs> wow. It's in the eating of the Lord's Supper that we come to recognize Jesus in a fresh way. The one 
who not only died for us, but was raised on our behalf, you and I. This is the point of all the post-resurrection meals and Lord's Supper remembering. It's the whole point. And it's during the Last Supper which we commemorate the Messiah Jesus made the promise. He makes this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. He says, I tell you the truth, I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This promise of Jesus is a guarantee of Resurrection Sunday. The greatest event to have ever eventuated and materialized. That's today. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. So, I want to challenge you to bow your head just with me for a moment. If we're going to remember, here's our instructions. God wants you to acknowledge this is all about him. This is all about Jesus. Paying the penalty that you and I deserved so that we could be in God's presence. It's sin that separates us from him. That's why he died for us. The perfect sinless Jesus became sin for you and I so we didn't have to suffer that punishment and death. That's what we remember today. Lord God, thank you for the blood of Christ that washes us clean from sin. Thank you for the body of Christ that's given to us to set us free and to make a way. That's what we're celebrating today, Lord. Help us to not come to this table now flippantly, but remembering that your son Jesus is alive and he changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Pastor Kevin and the band, they're going to lead us in a worship song. You can go to the table and come back. Got to be patient with each other. There are six of them, they're all around. You can come back and then the guys will come back after you know, during the worship song and they'll come around with a little receptacle and they'll collect it from you. And Pastor Kevin will lead us in this final worship song as we're remembering. Go ahead and go to the table.
You know, it's amazing what happens at the end. Ah, they're all over them. They kind of gather together, the council does, and like, we got to do something. So they come back and they say, hey, you got to stop this. (laughs) And Peter and John say, right, we can't stop this. You can't stop any of this. And you know what happens? Nothing. They get together and they go, we got nothing. What are we going to do about this? This definitely happened. And everybody's talking about it and praising God. This is a miracle. And they got nothing. Nothing happens. And Peter and John just go on preaching. And wow, you see the birth of the church just emerge right there. It catches fire. That's because the resurrection changes everything. Changes people from the inside out. All over the place. That's what happens. He can do that for you. And for me, that's what we celebrate today. Today, Jesus is alive. I hope you have a fantastic morning. I hope you talk about it. I hope you praise about it. I hope you post about it. I hope you take a selfie and and tell everybody on social media about this day. Have a fantastic day. He's alive. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.